Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. Make sure to subscribe to the Ringer's YouTube channel to watch the newest episode of Slow News Day with Kevin Clark, featuring NFL MVP Lamar Jackson. And in anticipation of the NBA's return in late July, NBA Desktop with Jason Concepcion is back to posting weekly episodes. Also up on our YouTube channel are the best clips taken from this week's Bill Simmons podcast, Rewatchables, and Higher Learning with Rachel Lindsay and Van Lathan. You can find all these videos at youtube.com slash The Ringer. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. It's Book Report Week. We're going to talk about books. It's summer reading. It's technically summer now, right? Yes, I believe it just happened. We're, we've passed the summer equinox, whatever it might be called. And we're headed towards the shortest day of the year. We've passed the longest. Man, do I love the late sunsets. <laughs> That's so depressing. You're one Sorry. of those people who Sorry. reaches the end of the uh, the longest day of the year and and doesn't miss it. it. There's a there's a Gatsby line about that, right? Isn't Daisy like at some point, like, don't you always wait for the longest day of the yeah. year and miss it or whatever? And then you're one of those people who's like, now things are getting shorter and life's over. I just feel like it should be in July. It's in June. It just happened. But I just feel like it should be a day in July. In my head, the longest day of the year should be in July. But that's just me. Okay. I mean, Many of many of the longest days of the year are in July, if you want to think about it that way. That's true. That's true. Okay. Good point. <laughs> um, it is summer. We did this last summer. It was quite fun. I think we're going to go over some books that we yes. are reading, recommend, would like to read, etc. I think we should start with a, a shared passion, which I actually we haven't discussed. And I'm curious to, based on our conversation last week on this podcast, we both read The Airfare, which is the sequel to... The Royal We by Heather Cox and Jessica Morgan. And I was delighted to be thrust back into the world of of Bex and in her in, in her monologue. This is the follow up to um, like the first one. The Royal We is about uh, like a fictionalized tale of Will and Kate getting married. And this is like a fictionalized tale of what happens after. Yes, that's true. The, the, so the one interesting note, which is a great way to start this whole conversation, because I want to talk about the air affair and I also want to talk about um, Royal Holiday by mm-hmm. Jasmine Guillory, which is yet another royal adjacent romance rom-com novel that I've read in the past few months. So it is a Will and the Royal We, which you and I both loved, is a Will and Kate story, except that Kate, the Kate character is an American. It's a Will and Kate story that turned out to have a lot of Megan and Harry in it. Yes. And it was, it happened before Megan and Harry and then Megan and Harry and real life kind of caught up to the Royal we. And then quite frankly, real life got, I don't want to say more interesting, but had its own plot line. And so you couldn't, I couldn't help but going into the air affair, which I am just, was so anticipating as evidenced by a recent episode, or I think it was the holiday episode of this podcast when you let me know there was a sequel and I just started squawking uh, on the podcast. Um, But I, I realized that I did think it would have more Harry and Meghan in it just because of the way that the Royal we kind of related to real life and also predicted some of what happened. And we're not going to spoil too much because this book isn't out until um, July. 
but it it is it's not Megan and Harry part two. How about that? It's certainly not. No, <laughs> it's very much about this couple, Bex and I just call him Will in my head, but his name is Nick. Bex yeah. and Nick, and um, about producing an heir. And there's a lot of twists and turns. The queen figure, um, whose name is Eleanor, I believe, in the book, she mm-hmm. plays a prominent role. I enjoy her. It it was interesting. It was very plot heavy. It does because it doesn't follow the same beats of like the of Will and Kate's relationship as the first one does. Because like that one, they meet in university and then they date and they get photographed and then they end up together. Like it, it had a real blueprint. It was building upon. This one just goes off the history script quite a bit. So it was a lot of twists and turns. I was so happy to be thrust back in the world, though I didn't like the book quite as much. But now I think about it as we both have sort of like backed off our royal watching and feel a lot more sour about them in the wake of all of the racism against Megan that is just impossible to deny or ignore or discount the horrible Prince Andrew situation as it relates to his um, complicity, if not active participation with Jeffrey Epstein and just sort of like our uh, inability to have fun with the idea of monarchy any further. It's it's hard to be like, Great stuff. <laughs> I was going to add the pointlessness of the monarchy as like a, a residual effect of, you know, empire, which is just like sort of it's I mean, ridiculous and kind of no logical person could defend it. I think if you're if you're yeah. really getting into principles um, that said, I read that book and loved it and and was very happy to be back and in the air affairs world. And really what I think Heather Cox and Jessica Morgan do best, both in the Royal we and the air affair is kind of create that put you in that world and all of the supporting characters and a lot of the ridiculousness of the, the protocol and the, you know, you have to wear stockings and you got to do this, that, and the other thing Um, there. They it's very evocative the way that they write it. And it is fun. So again, I'm not going to deny that I, it, it has lost all its appeal to me. I think we have to be like honest about it. But I wanted to bring up the royal holiday because I thought it's like it's an interesting contrast in a lot of ways to Air Affair. And I know that you haven't read it. And I so I'm not going to spoil it for other people. OK, but so I really want to, though. And I also love the cover. Yeah, it's great. I'm holding it up for Juliet on Zoom. Like the rest of you can see this like I'm on, you know, <laughs> the Today Show or not, but I'm not. Um, so Royal Holiday is by Jasmine um, Guillory, who is like a recent, like very popular romance novelist. I read her book, The Wedding Date, which I also recommend. Um, but she's written several. I think The Proposal was another um, big success for her. And Royal Holiday came out uh, fall 2019. And it, it's like it's royal adjacent. So here's what happened is that it's about a character named Vivian Forrest, who is a 54 year old social worker and her daughter, Maddie, who I believe is a character from a different Jas- Jasmine Guillory book, um, is a stylist and she gets a job styling, quote, the Duchess for Christmas at Sandringham. So Meghan Markle is never named, but you do get the impression that the Duchess is based on her and that Vivian, the main character, is based on her mother, Doria Ragland. And so here's what happens. They go to Sandringham for Christmas and they're staying in the cottage. And then Vivian meets the Queen's private secretary, who happens to be a a very handsome black man. I should also say Vivian is a black woman. And 
the the very handsome private secretary to the queen is quite taken with Vivian. And then they just start like a very charming relationship while she's on vacation on the Sandringham estate. And they like go horse riding and they like write notes to each other. Um, And and that sounds kind of old fashioned, but there is um, a self-awareness to all of it. And it's just a very lovely story about um, a middle-aged black couple falling in love set to like, and, and, but with the trappings of the Royal stuff, but in a way that kind of acknowledges both its appeal and its absurdity. Like there is a scene where the Vivian character is like asking the Malcolm character, like, are you serious about this monarchy stuff? And like, do you really, do you like working for them? And does it ever seem ridiculous? But even, even the way I described it is a little bit more dismissive than the way that she puts it. It's, it's just a very charming, sincere story. And I really enjoyed it. It sounds really good. It also sounds like it could be coming to Netflix, at least the world of Jasmine Guillory. And I basically realized after watching Sweet Magnolias, which is a bizarre show that I tore through, that I want to be ahead of the Netflix um, women programming. And I want to start mm-hmm. reading all of the books because I've so thoroughly enjoyed both Virgin River and Sweet Magnolias that I'm just like, I should just like, get ahead of this and, sh- and start reading all of these books because I- I'll look forward to them being on TV. And I'm reaching, I'm reaching a weird stage that maybe is like, I'm, I'm loathe to admit, but a, a couple of times I've liked the TV versions of both movies and books better than the originals. And I, I'm specifically thinking of normal people in high fidelity, both of which I prefer in their Hulu forms to any of their other forms. Wow. I think I agree with you on high fidelity or rather with high fidelity. I think I liked the non Nick Hornby high fidelity portions of that show more than I liked the parts of the show that were really explicitly acknowledging its textual origins and influence, if you will. So I, and I just like, that was one where I just wanted to spend time in the world and like all the characters, the record store were very funny. And every time they made a joke about, you know, lame Brooklyn music interests in the late 2000s, I like got a real kick out of it. I liked all the characters. I didn't need the the top fives or the the, the framing that is borrowed from the novel. Normal people, I just liked both. I'd, I'd like to have it all, if that's okay. Sure. Yes, of course. But I think like both in the case of Royal Holiday and an Air Affair, it it was about just spending time in the world a little bit. And like, and also kind of the tone, especially Royal Holiday, which was just um, so... Not even not even earnest because there are jokes and it's funny and it's like and it is well observed, but it's just these two people immediately like like each other and they fall in love. And, and it, it's kind of a traditional or not a romance novel or though I think that's unfair because, you know, romance novel has all of these loaded associations with it. But it's just kind of like these two people fall in love and then they got to figure out how to make it work. And it like almost made me a little uncomfortable how like sweet and vulnerable it is which is about me not them I realized that I was just like oh when people just fall in love I get freaked out I don't know what to say about that um but otherwise it was just nice being around them because it's like this is what you want to have want to be around right like two people sure on a great vacation find each other mutually respectful relationship there are some hiccups I mean it's not without tension that's what a relationship is about but yeah, I just kind of want to spend time around everybody. And I think that 
can work both in a novel format or in a TV movie format. I think also you keep hitting on something that like writers like Heather and Jessica and Jasmine don't often get credit for. It's usually given to men, but like world building is a hugely compelling part of reading a book and like being a part of a book series. And I think Netflix is actually trying to realize that with their series choices as they adapt books and whatnot. And it's cool when they're like, these are these really expansive worlds are, are, you know, in these books that you could just have, have multiples of. And like they, like these types of writers don't get credit for it, but they should, you know, and, and by these types, I mean, women who write massively popular books, like for yes. some reason, for some reason, it's not given the same prestige of, as Game of Thrones. Totally. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. You hear about like world building. Yeah. yeah it's not that I different. Agree. And I, I like, agree. I want to be in these worlds. Like I, I like actively want to spend time in, in, I, this is, I'm going to buy like all the Jasmine Guillory books immediately after this podcast. It sounds great. They, they really are. And, you know, the others were, I believe, are set kind of not in the royal world, which is possibly good. Because even as we were talking about like world building and like worlds you want to be a part of, like the two novels we're talking about are both like set in the royal adjacent. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> it's way more palatable when it's fake, right? Like it's way more palatable when it's like based on familiar ideas, but it's not real and you're not confronted with this awful royal family. I will say like, Princess Michael of Kent does not appear in the royal affair. I mean, the royal we or the air affair. I think that's true, though. Like, I do think part of the appeal of both of them is that it's like borrowing on things that we know. There's a scene in the royal holiday because it is like basic Christmas. So on Christmas morning, they like are having coffee and the daughter character is just obsessively uh, updating her Instagram, waiting for the pictures from the Sandringham walk to show up because that's her job and she wants to make sure everything looks okay. And, you know, I, like I, it's, it's like well handled. And in this case it's fictional, but it is borrowing on real things. Um, I think maybe the fact that both worlds are like slightly more skeptical than real life or like the, they they both focus on people who are not, um, traditionally part of that infrastructure, right? Whether it's like an an American and or, um, you know, a black woman and a a black mom. Um, So there is a bit of an outsider fascination to it that maybe helps you feel a little bit better. But, you know, I don't know. I'm just trying to be conscious of the fact that these things are still interesting to to me, even though I know that it's bad for me in the world. And I don't, and I, because I think a lot of people are going to feel that way. I don't think that we're suddenly like that all Royal coverage is going to go away. Totally. That is, that's not going to happen. And so I, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to think about the influence and keep talking about it, but I, I recommend both books. I'm definitely going to get the Jasmine Guillory ones. They sound great. And kind of like along those lines at, at the moment I was at my parents' place and, or, not at the moment, but a couple of days ago, I was at my parents' place and I just sort of was like sick of the books that I had been choosing for myself. And so I went to my mom's bookshelf to pick something there that I I had not read. And I picked a book that like I had been looking at for a long time, but never read. Um, and I picked Old Filth by Jane Gardam. Have you read that? No, I haven't. It's a Europa book and it's part of like a whole trilogy. Um, and it's kind of, and so Old Filth is, is this guy's what he goes by, but filth stands for failed in London, try Hong Kong. Um, 
Oh God. <laughs> and it's about like basically a English lawyer who leaves Hong Kong and returns to England. And like, I'm only like 60 pages in and he's, um, he's like very grumpy. And the book has been compared to like, to Dick, to, like modern Dickens. And I'm really enjoying it, but it definitely like relies on sort of old tropes of like English nobility and manners in a way that I know that just like the books that I've chosen to read, I've come to sort of um, romanticize in my head. And so it's been a really, it's been really interesting to read as I'm like, have all these new opinions on the Royal family and whatnot. And I really enjoy the prose and I, you know, I, 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 I'm enjoying it. And I, I think it's like a fairly celebrated book. Um, but I do think that it, it like kind of plays off of ideas of colonialism that it's definitely like disparaging, but also relies on them to kind of have some kind of, um, dialogue and so it's just interesting it's an interesting book for the moment I, I i do like it i think you would like it as well amanda also old fifth filth is really funny <laughs> no it sounds really interesting as you were talking it i i it reminded me of another book that's on my list i have like a extended list of books here just because i don't know that's all i've been doing is reading i haven't read all of these in the last week i just want to be clear i'm not this <laughs> is this is like a collection over the last several months and um i sometimes reading some of them simultaneously but you know one book in terms of relying on um old colonialist tropes and just kind of a, a vision of England that is definitely no longer applicable is a book that was recommended to me by Camilla Parker Bowles. So <laughs> let's, we'll be really honest about our influences and how we're thinking about them. And, you know, I talked about this before. This is a, um, a book called The Light Years, which is the first in a series of what turned out to be five novels by Elizabeth Jane Howard. Uh, they were published in the 90s and the, the collectively they're called the Caslet Chronicles. And it's about an upper middle class British family on the eve of World War II, or at least that's in book one. I'm assuming that the war happens at some point. I've only read the first book. And I really I will be completely honest. I really enjoyed this book. It was like Downton Abbey Redux. Um, and, and, you know, and it has that same it is concerned both with the, the family itself and then also, you know, the staff, it has the upstairs, downstairs quality to it, which again is, you know, now like a, a strange artifact, but definitely a genre of of fiction and of and of movies and TV that I have consumed a lot of over the past years. It is it's definitely immersive and and in terms of just you pick up a book and suddenly in your another world. It works. And that is something that I've been looking for, looking for a lot uh, in reading and in all types of uh, entertainment, as we were discussing. If you want to be in that world or if that's the world you want to escape to is or if is an ongoing question. And I am definitely thinking about it. I do think it's smart. I can't say that it's critiquing as much as it uh, sounds like old filth is. And that's something to be aware of. But, you know, I if if that's appealing to you or if it's like, you know, if it's appealing to your mom, it seems like it would be a great book to do with like a mom book club or a grandma book club, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Although, I, you know, I don't know what happens in books two through five. I, I think at some point, probably World War Two starts and that gets a little bit uh, grittier, I would guess. Um, sounds great. I've been really happy for you and your reading choices. I feel like they're they're hitting the spot for you. They are. They are. Can I give you some more? Yeah. And by the way, I think completely genuinely, I am real. I'm like jealous. Thank you. I just Thank feel you. like I haven't found my like, I, I'm enjoying Old Felt a lot. And it's like the first book I've really enjoyed mm -hmm. since I read The Air Affair a couple months ago. And it's just like, 
sometimes it's hard to find your reading groove. And you know, you got you got to zig when people are zagging. No, it's true. And I, there are so many books that you read that you don't have that electric feeling of like, oh, I want to be in this world. Like I, you know, this is going to sound really sad. And this is kind of like the most only child Amanda thing I've said in some time. But when a book is really good, I do have that feeling of like, oh, I get to go visit my friends again later. Um, and I felt totally. that way when, yeah. And I felt that way when I was uh, reading Wolf Hall, which I've talked about at great length. I'm really sorry to everyone who had to listen to it. But again, I really recommend Wolf Hall. I read book two as well. I got it. Book three's on the list. Um, and, but you know, that just feeling of, oh, I, I want to go spend time in this place. And it can be the, you know, Sandringham estate as explained in Royal Holiday. There's just a lot of scones in that book also. Just uh, now I just really want a scone. Or it can or it can be Wolf Hall, which is about the English Reformation. I actually didn't want to like myself teleport to that world. Tough, no. tough times tough to place, live in. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, this reminds me of one of my favorite movie quotes from my favorite movie other than um, You've Got Mail, Almost Famous. This mm-hmm. is what and and I've been missing bookstores a lot. So I've been thinking about this a lot. Like recently, I've just been like, all I fucking want to do is browse in a bookstore for 45 minutes with the air conditioning and have no one talk to me. I just want to browse yeah. in a bookstore. And it made me think of the Penny Lane quote where she says, if you ever get lonely, just go to the record store and visit your friends. And that's so true for people who love music and bookstores, people who love books. It really is true. I identify it so much. There's so much like possibility when you're standing in a bookstore and his, you know, you can go anywhere or, and like, which that's, am I like a Hallmark employee now? I don't know what that is, <laughs> but I like, I definitely, I definitely feel that way. And it's the novels for me are still kind of just the most immersive escapist. Like I, I you can, my mind doesn't turn off in any other way in the way that it turns when I'm turns off when I'm reading a book or like focuses in on something. So, totally. So that's that's where I am. Let's take a trip back to our youth with some with some more of your picks. Yes. Okay. So I'm reading a few books simultaneously right now, and we'll come back to the grown up book later. Um, but I woke up. I must have had a weird dream. I couldn't really tell you. I woke up this weekend and I was like, "What I need to do right now is re reread from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler uh, by E. L. Konigsberg, which is one of the iconic children's or young adult books of the past 50 years. It was published in 1967 and still rules. If you have not read this book, I'll give you a brief synopsis. It is about two children, Claudia and her little brother, Jamie, who run away to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And they sleep in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. They pick a very fancy bed and they hide in the bathroom stalls during closing time and they um, they just want to have an adventure. And that's where they choose to go. And this book just really, really had an impression on young Amanda Dobbins. Same. Well, yeah. And, you know, I know it's important to you. And as someone who actually did have access to the Metropolitan Museum of Art as a child, did you ever try to do this? Um, I definitely thought about it. I didn't try. I used to okay. take art classes at the Met with my mom on Saturday mornings when I was like six and just like always went to the museum a lot. My one of my primary COVID concerns is when and how the Met will be able to open. And um, our friend Wesley Morris suggested to me that perhaps they'd have to sell some art, which I just found to be so scandalizing. Um, 
And so I didn't ever try to, but like I, like the Met was just the definition of a hallowed hall for me from a very, very young age. And so I also really love this book. Also, I believe they like run away They live in Westchester, right? And they run away yeah. to the city. Yeah. Yes. And that also like just really resonated. I don't, I mean, we've talked about it before on this podcast. Like the Met is just like the most sacred of spaces. All books that tie into them and, and of all events that tie into the Met are just like so special. Yes, I agree with that. I, you know, I was trying to think, and I, I do think I read it at such a young age that probably this idea of, because when they go to the Met, it's, I mean, it, it is a very savvy uh, logistical choice because there is like furniture and, you know, very lots of places for them to hide. But Claudia, the main character, really makes a point of like learning things and wanting to have an, an adventure and wanting a life outside of like her her like small kid life, you know, that's basically ultimately her justification. And I think I like really related to that as a little kid. And like, that's possibly the reason that I wanted to um, live in New York when I was older, you know, like, and you know, how you see, like how you understand what an adventure is and like what you're supposed to do with a life. It was like actually very moving to reread this, um, you know, cause I don't think I'd reread it since I was like very young. But I do also think and when I was little, I took it quite literally. My parents like made me take the violin when I was really small and I didn't like it and it didn't stick, but I had a tiny violin case. I definitely remember running away to our backyard uh, with the violin case stuffed with items in it. Hilarious. And then also a duffel bag full of books that was like heavier than I was. So I was a really bad at running away, not a planner like Claudia, but still really influenced. So I recommend that if you haven't read it. It's just it you can read it in a day and it is it it is it's very smart and sophisticated. It's like written for children, but it is definitely also written for adults. But then because I was just in a groove, I was looking at our bookshelves and I found another book by E.L. Konigsberg that was very influential for me growing up. And Juliet, I think is also important to you. Am I wrong about that? I liked it, but it was my second favorite after. Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, no, no, I'm sorry. I mean, saying it was my third. It wasn't it was not even my second favorite. Oh, wow. I'll, OK, I'll drop that on you in a second. Keep going. OK, so this book is called A Proud Taste for Scarlet and Miniver. And it is a I guess it's children's historical fiction about the Queen Eleanor of Aquitaine, who mm-hmm. was a uh, 12th century queen. She was both the queen of France and the queen of England. I mean, I guess you, the royalty thing starts early. My middle name is Eleanor for Eleanor of Aquitaine. Yes. That's what you were and alluding to. My mo- It's my mom's favorite monarch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and again, uh, like... Uh, uh, I guess blame the people who gave me books growing up because for the monarchy thing, because here we are. And I was fascinated with this definitely because it's about Eleanor Rakuten's life and how she navigated. um, Well, it's about a lot of things. I mean, it's definitely about being Queens and there are definitely lots of Kings and all of that stuff. It's also again, for children. uh, And they simplify a lot of complex history, but they position her as a a woman um, before her time in terms of, her interests and taking responsibility for herself and her life. And, uh, you know, the 1100s weren't a great time to be a woman. I mean, the 1100s weren't a great time to be a lot of things, but uh, just in terms of being able to make decisions for yourself. So that's what the book is about. And it, you know, and it's also about European history. I found, I was telling Juliet and our producer Erica this before uh, we started recording, I found like my, elementary school copy of it. I just had it on my bookshelf and I just 
didn't know how to underline books, apparently, when I read this. And it has the most random sentences, not even whole sentences. Like I would just at one point of Aquitaine is underlined here on the first page, like with no context. I had no idea how to underline, but it's very sweet. And if you're interested in this, I recommend this book. What's your favorite E.L. Konigsberg book? After number two, of course, there's a clear yeah. number one um, about the B'nai Bagels. You know, as a Jewish kid <laughs> in New York, that's just for some reason, I really loved it. And it's about Mark, who like is mad that his mom and his brother are involved in his baseball team. He's like preparing for his bar mitzvah. And it was just very familiar. And I just loved it. I, I just remember absolutely loving it. Didn't have the same wide world of either of the other two E.L. Konigsberg books we mentioned, but I was really into them. As a child, my mother really encouraged me to write to my favorite authors. And so I also wrote to E.L. Konigsberg and she sure wrote back, I can tell you. But like I wrote every time I liked a book as a kid, I wrote to the author to tell them and to like ask questions. That it like makes my heart hurt in like a very nice way. Like I just imagining <laughs> tiny Juliet and also would love to see those letters. Do you remember what she wrote back? I think it was like, thank you. It was very sweet. I think I asked like specific questions about, about the Bonet bagels. And so she, <laughs> so she answered. And I think it like came with stickers as well. It was really sweet. You should write to your heroes as a kid because not as an adult. As an adult, they'll let you down. But as a kid, it's usually a good experience, I think. I just think that's also such a nice suggestion by your mother in order to get you like engaging with the books. And that, sure. like, it makes sense that you were asking specific questions of the authors at a young age. Like I can see that translated to your adult life in like a nice way. <laughs> um that that's really lovely. That yeah, I was so happy when she wrote back and I, it may have come like I think I wrote I sent it to the publisher and then I don't know, but I was just so happy when she wrote back. It really meant a lot to me. I don't know. Writers, you know, it's like when when a writer um, who's created something you truly love and, and I think people have this for like if you love different kinds of art, like if the people you the creators you worship turn out to be like humane and decent. It's just such an incredible thrill. I think that's one of the reasons why Lynn Manuel Miranda feels like such a miracle is because he is like so mega talented and now famous and he feels like the most decent and humane person on the radio in New York. He like he does these radio ads for um like just calling an elderly person just to like have connect so they can like have connection and it's like so sweet. It's like really overwhelming and really just like so decent. Um, this is, this is a great segue to a, an author, a book that I'm reading now and an adult author, um, and engaging with the author and the people behind the book though. I, I don't know this person and I have not written this person a letter. Maybe I should. Anyway, I am reading, uh, The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett right now. In addition to reading children's books, I am reading a book for adults. <laughs> um, this is like, this is the big book right now. It's, yeah. uh, debuted at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And it was like a good morning America pick. And I'm, I will give a very brief summary though. I don't want to spoil it because one of the thing that Britt Bennett does very well is um, just has a lot of plot and she has ideas along with her plot, but you, you kind of things, things start and then they keep going. Okay. So the basic plot is just that it's a, it's about twin um, sisters who grew up in a small Southern black town in the sixties and then they run away um, as teenagers. And then the, the book picks up 
and one returns to the town with her black daughter and the other sister is um, passing as a, a as a white woman in a different town. And so it becomes about what happens next, really. And obviously, you know, it's part of like the long tradition of passing literature and uh, about race and about a lot of things that were happening in the 60s and are still happening now. And it is also just like really plotty. And I I really like Bennett. I also recommend The Mothers, which is her first novel, uh, which she started writing when she was 17 years old and published in her mid-20s. So I recommend both books. I also um, have somehow been following Britt Bennett on Twitter for like several years now, I think since I read The Mothers. And I realized as I was reading The Vanishing Half that Britt Bennett's a great Twitter follow because she's um, a sensible person. And so it's, you know, and there are very few of those on Twitter. But she also from time to time would talk about her writing process. And so I as I was reading this book, I realized that there were times when I read like her posting about how she was like very mad at one of her characters and or, you know, why did this character make this decision? And she was writing about the um, just the process of writing the novel and of fiction and how a novelist relates to the characters and how that changes over time. And because like I have been following her for several years, it was like really fascinating and sort of exciting to see that develop and then realize I was like realizing the finished product and reading the finished product. And, you know, that's that's different than writing her a letter. That's the coward's version, really of uh interacting with authors but it was it was really very exciting um I, not that i was like involved in it but just to have been a witness to this whole process i don't normally like behind the scenes stuff like this but i just think she's really talented as a writer and also in, in terms of sharing her process so i recommend both books and i recommend following her on twitter because i think she's working on another novel i'm in sounds great yeah i i um I also have just found like my interest in art is very high right now. Like just as like a reaction to the pace of news, I think that like create like sort of the creative worlds of, of art and, and letters feels very appealing to me at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yes. That and the floor is lava, which I'm not sure if you're aware of on Netflix. I know the title. Do you want to tell me about it? Miles Terry wrote about it today for the ringer. Floor is Lava is like the game that you may have played like as like a kid where like you can't touch the floor because it's lava, except it's a game show that's like Wipeout. So it's like they have like orange water in this room, essentially, like just like and if you fall into the water and you have to like jump from like random furniture to random furniture to like get to the end. It's an obstacle course and you can't fall in the water, but it's called Floor is Lava. It's like the latest dumbest thing from Netflix. And I, I absolutely love it. I watched two episodes yesterday and it was delightful and like relaxing. So is it like in studio? Yes. It's like, it's like kind of an adult Nickelodeon game show. The best way I can describe it is Wipeout meets Legends of the Hidden Temple meets Netflix meets like game show. It's really weird. It's kind of like double dare vibes as well. Okay. Double Dare and Legends of the Hidden Temple are both things I know what you're talking about. I confess, like, do I know what Wipeout is? Yeah, I'm sure you've seen it in passing on, like, Saturday night on ABC for, like, 30 seconds. I don't know if I have, but... I believe um, it started as a um, Korean game show that came to America. Okay. Anyway, uh, I, I, I'm i just enjoying um, art, reading, and Floor is Lava on Netflix. Okay. 
I mean, you know, it, it takes it, it takes the whole world. You know, that's what we're trying to experience when we're still at home, mostly in quarantine. We're trying yeah. to to explore different facets of 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 the globe. I have to say, I've also considered just restarting Normal People, the TV show from the beginning. One hundred percent. I'm not okay. going to do it, though. I would be interested to know what Normal People is like on the second viewing that once you kind of know what's happening, the choices that they make, the emphasis that they put on the characters. Yeah. Um, I think it could probably stand up to like a second viewing and a closer study. I feel like I need to do a rewatch to focus on Daisy Edgar Jones. Cause I feel bad that I so <laughs> much focused on Paul Meskel, you know, I, I can't do a rewatch to focus on Daisy Edgar Jones because if I do, I will get the bangs and I just want everyone to know. <laughs> oh, thanks right. to everyone do it. who reached out um, with your like supportive concern, I didn't get bangs. Bangs aren't the right choice for me. If they're the right choice for you, that's great. I think they are the right choice for Daisy Edgar Jones. But I, I don't, I, I, you know, held out once. I don't know if I can do it twice. Then don't watch. Stay far okay. away. Okay. Stay far away. Um, okay. Any other books we need to recommend? Yeah, I have a few more. Sorry, I told you oh, I went nuts. Keep, okay. keep going. All right. So. Oh, this is an interesting one in terms of the conversation that we were having of like, um, you know, literary traditions that might uphold specifically British Empire values that uh, everyone is reexamining and quite frankly has been reexamining for decades. Uh, it's called Unmarriageable um, and it's by Sonia Kamal and it is Pride and Prejudice set in 21st century Pakistan. So there have been a tremendous number of like, Pride and Prejudice, but, you know, zombies or Pride and Prejudice, but just modern day. I think Curtis Sittenfeld uh, wrote one that was set in in Ohio, I believe Cincinnati, but, you know, in the U.S. So th- there are many of these. I've read them all. I love them all. I thought Unmarriageable was very smart because obviously it is a rom-com and it's Pride and Prejudice. And like, I, you know, I'll, I'll watch that story every day until the end of time. But it is it is engaging with um, some of like the the post colonial themes that we were talking about and spe- like in broader Pakistan, but also kind of specifically with the influence of like the Jane Austen novel that it's based on and is reinterpreting. Um, and it does it in like a it's not heavy handed. It's just kind of part of the very like readable and and winning writing. So I recommend it. It was. A plus from me. Shout out all Pride and Prejudice reimaginations. Truly all of them. There's so yeah, many. Truly all of them. But it's like, that's that's fine. I've, I'll do one every day. Um, What else do I got? Okay. I have another one that actually, okay. So this is disclosure, a friend, but I will recommend it anyway. Um, Not anyway. Uh, my friend Dan Riley is publishing a book this week called Barcelona Days, and I'm just going to give you the setup of this. This is about a couple who has been dating since college, and they're planning to get married, but before they get married, they're each allowed to sleep with three other people. Oh. And then all of it, yeah. And and that's where the, the novel starts. And it also, it all is set in Barcelona. So if you are not traveling this summer, or at, you know ever and are looking for somewhere else to be it it has that summer european feel and also quite a setup plot wise love it so I, I really recommend that that's out this week and i think that's it i think that's everything that i have 
right now. Guys, we love reading. Just, you know, buy some books. Why not? Buy some books and, you know, let it, let us know as well if you're there's anything that you're particularly excited about. And because we're reading, we're always looking for more. Yeah. And um, we will share in the show notes a list from LitHub of Black-owned bookstores where you can order any of these books if you would like to. Thanks for listening. <laughs>